Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 21st of February 2012. I always advise newcomers to look into the website CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com Make good use of it, there's uh, over a thousand audios for free download there uh, you'll see too that all the sites listed have audios for download, but they also have transcripts in English for print up if you want to read. And you can also go into alanwattsentinel.eu for transcripts in other languages. And um, what I do here is chronicle basically the system we're going through, who, who started it up, how long ago did they start this up, this whole New World Order idea, the planned society where everything is to be monitored and planned, including the people who are born from birth to death. And it's really a, a very uh, scientifically designed system. That's what they claim. And that's what they claim they'd bring in over a 100 years ago. And we're simply living through it. So help, help yourself to the audios. And remember, too, you can keep me going by buying books and discs at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. And uh, hopefully I can keep going for a little, little bit longer. And to purchase, go into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. From the U.S. to Canada, you'll see you can use a personal check or an international postal money order, or you can use send cash or use PayPal. Across the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal once again. Straight donations are awfully welcome because that's generally how I scrape by. And as I say too, I'm not into making an empire or a, a big business out of this, and I don't bring on advertisers as guests who will terrify you, then sell you something, which is a standard technique. Um, and that's a business which is okay. Uh, Patriot, the Patriot business would not be in existence if it wasn't for all the different advertisers which come into them to keep them going. And that's just the way it is. But me personally, I don't uh, bring them on. So I depend upon you two to help me uh, chug along. And chronicling the world events is quite easy, actually, especially when you've got all the old books written by, especially the memoir books written by past players who helped set up the present system. They're long dead, these people, but they set up the system that included the sexual revolutions, uh, abortion, the pill, um, the, the breaking of the generations, uh, long, long, long ago, all designed back in the 1920s, etc. And, and they knew exactly the format they were going into. And at the same time, they were going to unite Europe into a solid block with a single currency and a, a central bank for the whole kit and caboodle. They also wanted the same thing done with North America. And we're still going into that yet, a bit more slowly. And the Far East as well goes into another block as well. So there's nothing that we're going through that wasn't designed by the same organization an awful long time ago. They have thousands of other organizations working with them, think tanks and um, foundations. Some of the foundations just launder money to hundreds of other foundations. Because, you see, to bring in the new, you must destroy all that was before. That means all, all culture, all everything, to bring in this new system. And that's why you're seeing what seems to be bizarre things happening within your own countries and across the world. 
uh, with certain traditional uh, things we're, we're used to, all being disrupted and turned on their head and promoted from the top, of course. Everything must be promoted from the top. True grassroots, uh, anything at all with culture, would not be allowed. It could cause ripple effects that might upset the apple cart. And so anything that's promoted is always from the top down, and Plato talked about that too. It's an essential part of what they call government or governance. And we're going through some of the biggest, hardest times now as they bring all the countries into line financially because eventually they've all to go under the bank for international settlements. That's the one that Carl Quigley talked about that would basically rule the world. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix. Part of this big plan, of course, and has been for an awful long time, to destroy all that was, to bring in the new, was to promote radical groups, and actually create radical groups. And I've met some of them in the past. When I was in music, I'd often be asked to sing at some do or another, on behalf of whatever, and some of them I'd found out they were actually for radical change. And they told me that, and I said, well, how do you get your funding? They get it from the government. They get masses of money from the government to protest the government with the money and lobby them for these particular radical changes. And they have to be so radical as to knock out the family unit, um, even male-female relationships, and everything right down the line. So that's what they mean by bringing in the new, destroying the culture so much they could never, ever put it back together again. And it's pretty well a done deal. Today, I mean, most youngsters with all the massive indoctrination accept men dressing up as women, and they'll actually call them by by feminine names and so on, as it was quite natural. But you understand, a man who who is dressing up as a woman is still a man, even if he's had some surgery done, he's still a man. He's, he's technically a eunuch. You understand, and so you're being asked to subgo and forego your own sanity to please someone else. Do you understand that? I hope you do. You know, A woman has ovaries and a woman things like that. She's also grown up with the different hormones. Grown up is very important with different hormones circulating in the brain. It, it, it makes you think differently, makes you act differently. And you can't just uh, do it later in life with uh, injections of specific um, hormone treatment. But we're being asked to actually call people who dress up as uh, something else. And it's very Orwellian. It's very Orwellian, I find. Because, as I say, they're not. It doesn't matter how much plastic surgery. Surgery does, does not make you into another gender. It doesn't do it. They can do little uh, mock uh, uh, makeup things and so on. They can give you breasts of silicone, but that's still not a woman. Anyway, uh, this article here is about the EU funding. That's the Economic Union Parliament funding of homosexual lobby with pedophile links in the past. And it says members of the European Parliament, the MEPs they call them, have started to ask questions about why taxpayers in the European Union are being forced to finance a giant homosexual lobbying group with past links to organizations promoting pedophilia. 
Gay and lesbian activists responded to the concerns by unleashing a wave of attacks with their well-paid and well-staffed to do so. Researchers using publicly available data found that the International Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Trans and Intersex Association Europe, which is called ILGA, received more than two-thirds of its funding directly from taxpayers through the European Commission. When tax money provided by the Dutch government was added in, over 70% of the group's funds last year came from taxpayers. The rest came from billionaire leftist George Soros and two other major donors. It appears to be a puppet organization in the hand of a very small group of donors, of which the Commission is the most important one. The Parliament, in other words, noted European human rights lawyer J.C. von Krempach, who shined a spotlight on the issue late last year in a series of articles. Is this really a non-governmental organization or part of civil society, or is it an unofficial EU agency? Despite the close ties to governments or lobbying groups, a highly controversial past, according to critics in the 1990s, for example, after international pressure and a global scandal erupted, ILGA was forced to purge several groups from its membership ranks because their primary mission was promoting paedophilia. Among the more controversial members was the infamous North American Man-Boy Love Association, a group which seeks to legalize and normalize the paedophilia. Elga also fought a long battle to become an officially recognized non-governmental organization with the United Nations. Of course, it was repeatedly rejected for its myriad ties to supporters of paedophilia as member governments balked. Eventually, pressure from the European governments forced the UN to grant accreditation. But questions about the lobbying group's eligibility for official NGO status are now making headlines again, and some analysts expect the organization's status to come up for review in the not-too-distant future. Indeed, ILGA fails to meet the UN's own established criteria, one part of which states that a major portion of the NGO's funding cannot come from governments, but yet it is. Well, you should just ban it right there on the spot then. Just stop giving them the cash. When the EU taxpayers, you know, these NGOs are fantastic. You can give yourself, if you're the CEO of an NGO, getting all these funds, you can give yourself any salary you wish, even a million dollars or two million dollars if you want a year. When the EU taxpayer funding scandal first made headlines in December, concerned members of the European Parliament and organizations such as the US-based Catholic Family and Human Rights Institute sounded the alarm. In essence, according to critics of the arrangement, the EU is just using taxpayer money to lobby itself while litigating in European courts and bullying member governments. So it does go on quite a bit, but the fact is um, this is how you do it. This is how you change society to destroy all that was, to bring in all that wasn't, uh, and to it's really a reverse of what was before. Uh, and even then, you, these other, other stories too, which is you find them all over the news at the same time. When you see that, that's, a, that's more than a trend. Is put out there to sink into all, everyone's brains, subliminally almost. And people forget the main stories, but somewhere inside their, their mind is the memory of all these little stories so that you get used to hearing them and think, well, what's the big deal, I guess? And, I, and people too judge by other people. Well, if everybody else is accepting this, why shouldn't I? You know? It's all psychology, neuroscience that is into this big time. Here's one here, Zach Avery, four years old is amongst the youngest in Britain to be diagnosed with gender identity disorder. GID is called GID. If they put a Y in the end for young, you'd have giddy. <laughs> anyway, it says here, a little boy who decided he was a, a girl trapped in a boy's body 
has become one of the youngest ever children to have this decision backed by the National Health Service. Again, the tax funding thing is just four. With his blonde pigtails and purple tutu, Zeke Avery has, is now five and has been living as a girl for more than a year. Little Zach was just three when he began refusing to live as a boy and saying to choosing to wear pink dresses and ribbons in his long blonde hair because he has gender identity disorder. Mum Teresa Avery, 32, said her son used to be a normal little boy who loved Thomas the Tank Engine, but suddenly at the end of 2010, he decided he wanted to live as a girl. Well, he's probably heard lots and lots of this stuff on television too. He became obsessed with the children's TV character Dora the Explorer, so I guess he wanted to be Dora, and started dressing in female clothing. Three sons, Zach's father, Darren, 41, became worried by their son's behavior and took him to the doctor. He was officially diagnosed with GID, GID, by National Health Service specialists, who are specialists in this now, you know, amazingly, eh? at the Tavistock, Tavistock again, big institution, and Patman Foundation Trust in London, making Zach one of the youngest affected children in the UK. Mum of four, Teresa said, he just turned round to me one day when he was three and said, Mummy, I'm a girl. I assumed he was just going through a phase and left it like that. But then it got serious and he would become upset if anyone referred to him as a boy. He used to cry and try to cut off his willy out of frustration. You know, no one likes will, you know that? Across the world, every army says, fire at will. You ever noticed that's nobody else's name? It's always will. Anyway, he tried to cut will off. Specialists explained to Trees and Darren that gender identity disorder is a conflict between a person's actual physical gender and the gender that person identifies himself or herself as. Imagine he try to cut, cut it off at the age of four. Eh? That means he, he knows uh, what women look like and men look like. I wonder who showed him all that. And doesn't that conflict with the Freudian aspect that women had penis envy and he was trying to cut it off? To be a woman? Well, that doesn't matter, of course. But anyway, it says they told us that although he was a male, uh, he had a male body, his brain was telling him he was a girl. Now listen to this. At Zach's school, Poorfleet uh, Primary in Essex, they've even turned their toilet block gender neutral to support this. That's one child. Gender neutral. You understand the whole, te- this is a whole agenda. Massive agenda. Teresa added, they have changed the toilets for key stage one pupils into unisex instead of male-female, and they address him as a girl, which is what he wants. I guess you could be addressed as anything you wanted to be, couldn't you? I mean, if he gets away with it, King Kong, whatever you want, you know. When he gets a bit older to key stage two, then obviously the law changes and there will be more difficulties surrounding the bathroom issue. But we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Maybe that Zach will use the staff toilets. Those special privileges. Personally, I think this child has watched the news and he's noticed that it's bad enough now, but the only folk getting jobs are special people. Special people. You know, it's priority hiring. So by the time he grows up, he's, he's made. He's made. We explained to the other children at school that Zachary's boy was of a boy, but in his brain he was a girl. Uh, we said Zach was just happier being a girl than a boy. Now, the other children haven't batted an eyelid because they've all had their indoctrinations through sexual education. They've accepted Zach as Zach, and there's no problems at the school with bullying. The school has been brilliant and really, really supportive. So, when he goes to school now, uh, he wears a girl's trousers uniform and black boots with pink trim, which his mother said is female but still neutral. I don't know about that. And mum said that although she misses her little boy, the family is very supportive. 
But I, I get a lot more clothing that way too, you know, and presents and things. So maybe it's not that good. Who knows? Eh? Dominic Strauss Kahn, who's been in so much trouble for his affairs and so on with prostitutes and orgies, which is nothing abnormal at the high elites level. But obviously he, he really ticked somebody off in a higher position to to be wiped across the whole the whole planet with the stuff. Now he's been arrested again. Strauss Kahn arrested by police, French police, for complicity in pimping after he admits at, uh, attending sex parties all over the world. Well, they all do that. We, even when they come as dignitaries to Canada or the States, it's been in the papers here, our own governments hire prostitutes, male and female, to cater to the dignitaries. Can you believe that? What kind of world is this, eh? Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, talking about Dominique Strauss-Kahn. And uh, it says here that uh, he'll be held in custody until Wednesday, at least before bail can be considered. Former International Monetary Fund chief denies knowing that the women he slept with were prostitutes. I guess he thought they were all there because he was so handsome. Allegations emerged that married 62-year-old had relationships with at least 10 call girls. A lot more than that had him over the world, it says. So he was arrested. The former International Monetary Chief was told by detectives there is evidence linking him to complicity and pimping and misuse of corporate assets. He will be held until Wednesday, at least before bail can be considered. And it says, it says that Strauss Can 62 is admitted to attending sex parties in cities all over the world, but denies knowing that the women he slept with were prostitutes. He was very, he's a very naive man. Now he faces criminal charges that prosecutors can prove that fraudulently obtained money was being paid to the prostitutes and that Strauss Can knew about this. The money is alleged to have come from a building company exec who is accused of using his firm's funds to entertain the guests. Strauss Kahn was driven to the police station in a Mercedes limousine with blacked-out windows, yada, yada, yada. He's claimed he did not know he was sleeping with prostitutes because the women were all naked at the time. The unorthodox defense comes amid allegations that his mobile phone records show he had relationships with at least 10 call girls. All of the women who came from France and Belgium claimed to have been paid sex with him. Uh, been paid for having since when he was at IMF chief. And Strauss-Kahn's lawyer, Henry Leclerc, said his client was totally unaware that the women were receiving cash. As I say, they just came because of you, such a good looker and such a party animal, I guess. All these parties, he says, or at these parties, people were not necessarily dressed, and I defy you to tell the difference between a naked prostitute and any other naked woman, said Mr. Leclerc. He admits taking part in the orgies and said he had an uninhibited sex life, but that he never paid us a cent time for it. I've got a horror of prostitutes and pimping, he said. Anyway, he's a, he's a leading member of the French Socialist Party now, and he wanted to run to, for president last year when he, after he resigned from the IMF. And it says the U.S. case collapsed. But when he returned to France, Tristan Bannon, a 30-year-old writer, accused him of attempting to rape her. What a character, eh? Do you see, if he had any brains at all, he'd say he's really a woman trapped in a man's body. And he only feels comfortable amongst other naked women, especially the young ones. Some of them were underage, apparently, too. And that would stand up in court today, I'm sure. Court, you could arrive at the court wearing a dress. 
Yep, that would get him off. And if he changed his mind, well, he could change his mind and become a guy again. You know, just like that. Now, U.S. General Dempsey says, Iran is a rational actor, not after nuclear weaponry. And it says, um, A top U.S. military official has described Iran as a rational actor in the international arena, stating that the Islamic Republic is not after producing nuclear weapons. Speaking in a national televised interview with the CNN's Farid Zakaria GPS show on Sunday, Chairman of the U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Martin Dempsey said, we are of the opinion that Iran is a rational actor. Dempsey pointed out that U.S. officials aren't convinced that Iran has decided to build atomic armaments. We also know, or we believe we know, that Iran has not decided to make a nuclear weapon, General Dempsey said. So it won't matter who says what, because it's obvious that Israel and the U.S. have a, a joint agenda here uh, across the whole region, obviously. And we know that, too from the New American Century Revolutionary Democracy Plan, where they'd cause revolutions and back them up with the military and all these different countries. They had the whole list laid out. We've, we've done most of it now, and only a couple to go. So it's the same agenda. And the Irish, I'll put a link up tonight too, and the Irish Constitution halts a sheriff who was there to uh, reclaim or repossess a home and evict the tenants. Uh, who were from their own home, actually the, the owners, uh, on behalf of the banks. So uh, what they're claiming is that they've studied up on the, the laws of Ireland and the, and the banking laws and so on, and they're, they're using that instead of the old pitchforks, as they say, that they did in previous ages. Now they're educated and they're using a different tactic to fight the legal system there, so good luck to them. Norway and Sweden, that was a, these were beautiful countries actually, Norway especially, and uh, of course they've gone down the tubes with the rest of the integration of Europe and massive immigration and so on. But they're, now they're at, they're the big banks are after to downgrade their currencies as well. Nordic currencies are stung in crisis as Ingves reverses policy, it says here. And that was one place where big money boys were putting their cash in because they had a high, a high uh, purchasing power for the kroner. Sweden and Norway are losing their appeals as havens from European's debt crisis at a time when the kroner and krone are more overhauled than at almost any point in the past 40 years. Sweden's central bank cut interest rates for a second straight meeting on February 16th after exports accounting for about half of the nation's output fell 6% in December. Norway's foreign trade slid 4.3%. In the fourth quarter, the Swedish krona is about 25% too expensive, they're claiming the external banks, and the Norwegian krona more than 40% based on an organization for economic cooperation and development measure of the relative costs of goods and services. In other words, this organization for economic development and cooperation development is actually an arm of the International Monetary Fund. That's who's telling them they've got to devalue their currency. So I'll put that up too. So people are pulling their cash out of Norway as a last resort. Also, I'll put up the video, why uh, why in the world are they spraying? Not what, what are they spraying, but now why are they spraying? I'll put the trailer up tonight too to show you that's out now to that whole video. Back after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. 
Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt, we're back with Cutting Through the Matrix And last night I mentioned about the, the various organisations that all work together um, From outside sources to even attack Canada And how they fund them, the big organisations, foundations and so on Fund uh, activists within Canada to stop any further exploitation of the, 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 the oil sands, etc. Things like that and it's always the same big players, big foundations owned by big bankers and corporations who also attend the IPCC conferences, etc. They're all for it all. And, but they're using their, their power now to play all sides, you see. And I don't know who funds these two particular guys here, but it says two Canadian climate change scientists from the University of Victoria in British Columbia say the public reaction to their recently published commentary has missed their key message. And that is that all forms of fossil fuels, including the oil sands and coal, must be regulated for the world to avoid dangerous global warming. Strange that, because these guys, you think, would be saying something like China and India and all the emerging nations under the World Trade Organization don't have to stop any kind of pollution whatsoever for 20 years, which they can then go for another 20 years uh, if they sign at the United Nations. No, it's always the developed countries ahead, isn't it? So the two Canadian climate change scientists from the University of, of Victoria say the public reaction to the recently published commentary has missed their key message. All fossil fuels, including oil, sands and coal, must be regulated for the world to avoid dangerous global warming. We'll be, we'll be freezing in Canada in that case. And it says, it says um, much of the way this has been reported is through a type of view that oil, sands are good and coal is bad, said climate scientist Neil Swart who co-authored the study with fellow climatologist Andrew Weaver. From my perspective, that was not the point. The point here is we need a rapid transition to renewable energy and avoid committing to long-term fossil fuel use if we are to get within the limits of reducing global warming to less than 2%. They've improved us even up. The commentary published in the British scientific journal Nature Climate Change estimated the impact of consuming the fuel from oil sands deposits without factoring in greenhouse gas emissions associated with extraction and production. Why should we bother about greenhouse emissions, green, greenhouse emissions when they're, they're spraying us every day with this mushy stuff that blocks the sun? Okay. The conclusions of a credible climate scientist with access to good data are very different than some of the rhetoric we've heard from Hollywood celebrities of late, said Travis Davis, a spokesman from the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers. However, it clearly doesn't absolve industry from what it needs to do to continue to improve environmental performance broadly and demonstrate that improvement to Canadians and our customers in terms of GHG emissions as well as water, land and uh, tailing facilities, it says here. So... As I say, these professors or whatever they are, are scientists, will get funding from all the big private foundations to basically lobby against exploiting any of the stuff in Canada so that we can freeze our tails off, no doubt. And here's an article that ties in with this because it says here, um, in a sensational public confession, a leading climatologist, Peter Glick, has admitted to taking part in a high-profile climate emails forgery that has backfired, said it was done to intentionally injure the sceptics. Britain's pro-green national daily, called The Guardian, was the first major newspaper to break the news that Dr. Peter Gleick had confessed to unlawfully libeling the prominent climate sceptic supporter of the Heartland Institute. 
Heartland is a 20-year-old national non-profit organization with offices in Chicago, Illinois, and Washington, D.C. Its mission is to discover, develop, and promote free market solutions to social and economic problems. Stopping short of specifically admitting he was the author of the faked Heartland Institute document, Gleick nonetheless spilled the beans that he was a co-conspirator via the Huffington Post late last night. It says Gleick admits that his political bias and climate catastrophism led him to commit a serious lapse of my own and professional judgment and ethics. In reply, Heartland Institute President Joseph L. Bast immediately issued an official statement declaring Gleick's crime was a serious one. The documents he admits stealing contained personal information about Heartland staff members, donors and allies, the release of which has violated their privacy and endangered their personal safety. Gleek, who was an eminent climate scientist promoting the man-made global warming meme, had jumped off his lofty establishment pedestal to admit that he had knowingly intended to cause injury and defame Heartland Institute, a registered charity. Dr. Gleek added he would not comment on the substance or implications of the materials, but there can be no doubt that the tone of his letter suggests it was drafted under the direct guidance of an attorney. So there's nothing they won't stoop to uh, to put their nonsense out there. And it certainly doesn't give them any credibility, not that they could they have a hard time to find any at all, actually. Uh, as I said, why not talk about the spraying in the skies, the geoengineering and all the rubbish we've been forced to breathe in, for instance? Why not have them uh, lobby against uh, the rising countries like India, Brazil, elsewhere? where they can pollute as much as they want with oil or anything, anything they fancy. Why not? Because they're all run globally, you understand, from a, a capstone system of, of uh, order. That's why. Now, we've all went through all these different things with this, the, the servers to, to keep all our emails, etc. It's happening across the world at the same time because we've all signed the same deals. And as typical with the global... Uh, Plans, uh, they always make you fixate on one or two things that they'll publish in the paper. Well, they've got a half a dozen more that they don't, they don't publish in the paper to get round about it. So that when you're saying, oh, good, we've won, no, you haven't at all. Government spy program will monitor every phone call, text and email, and details will be kept for up to a year. They've been, they've been doing it all along, to be honest with you. Details about text messages, phone calls, emails, and every website visited by members of the public will be kept on record in a bid to combat terrorism. If it's not pedophilia, it's terrorism. It's just one or the other. Any excuse will do, right? The government will order broadband providers, landline and mobile phone companies, to save the information for up to a year under a new security scheme. What is said in the text, emails or phone calls will not be kept, but information on the senders, recipients and their geographical whereabouts will be saved. Direct messages to users of social networking sites like Facebook and Twitter will also be saved, and so will information exchanged between players in online video games. The information will be stored by individual companies rather than the government. The news has sparked huge concerns about the risk of hacking and fears that the sensitive information could be used to send spam emails and texts. Nick Pickles, Director of Privacy and Civil Liberties campaign group Big Brother Watch, said... Britain is already one of the most spied-on countries offline, and this is a shameful attempt to watch everything we do online in the same way, isn't it ever, though? But it's happening everywhere. We're all signing the same deals. 
the vast quantities of data that would be collected would arguably make it harder for the security services to find threats before a crime is committed and involve a wholesale invasion of all our privacy online that is hugely disproportionate and wholly unnecessary. They should have no access to your private data. None zilch at all. They shouldn't. Not at all. When you phone someone, have a chat with them, that's your business, not theirs. Or you text them or whatever you're doing, that's yours. You see how you start to give up a little bit of time? Oh, well, oh, well. No, there's no such thing as a little bit. They want all of it. Because in a totalitarian society, you must be completely predictable in everything that you do. On Wednesdays, you do this. You talk to so-and-so or you meet so-and-so. and They want to know all about you. That's utter this is the This is the dream of every tyrant from the most early times to the present. Total monitoring. We're way beyond Stasis. We can't even compare it with Stasi, Nazi, or, or, or the KGB. We're way beyond that. Way, way, way beyond it. And the public forgets it. Because, you see, they don't jump in every five minutes and say, oh, we're listening. <laughs> they forget it all the time. And the police in London, just to keep everything going, of course, are launching an anti-terror campaign. Metropolitan Police has launched a counter-terror campaign urging people to report suspicious behaviour by calling a dedicated hotline. The four-week campaign, named as Probably Nothing But, consists of ads in local and ethnic minority press. There's also to be a radio advert and leaflets are being offered to 1.4 million homes in London. Deputy Assistant Commissioner Stuart Osborne said the terrorist threat to London and the UK generally remains real and serious, so it's vital that everyone continues to be vigilant and aware. They're getting everybody turned into a spy, just like the Stasi did. One in four of the population in eastern Germany were spying for the government. Under threat, you see. Blackmail. That's how they get them on something, and then they blackmail them and do it. We, the Metropolitan Police Service, have a key role in countering this threat, whereas from Al-Qaeda inspired groups, even though the Qaeda is their pal now over fighting in the Middle East, or individuals or Irish dissident Republican groups, we can only do this with the support of all our communities. Terrorists live amongst us. We want you to tell us about anyone or anything you see which is out of place in your normal day-to-day lives. Well, whenever there's a CFR meeting anywhere, they're terrorists, or the International Monetary Fund, they're terrorists, or any of these big foundations, they're terrorists, you should definitely report it, because they want to take you all down, you see. And to the, and the way it make you live the way that they think you should live, you know, and poverty, austerity, that kind of stuff. And progressive homeschooling is a crime against the holy state, insists a lefty think tank. Wonk, it says here. Politically progressive parents who withdraw their children from government schools are ideological hypocrites who under time undermine the common good. What is the common good? That means all behaving and doing what you're told. Insists Swartz Fellow at the New America Foundation. In recent years, there's been a, a resurgence of interest in homeschooling, not just the religious fundamentalist variety practiced by Michelle Bachman and Rick Santorum, but also in secular liberal homeschooling, writes Goldstein, <laughs> Goldstein in an essay for uh, doesn't it say here? Although a definitely tall a tally of the number of homeschoolers and children is elusive, the best estimate places the unschooled population somewhere in the vicinity of two millions, and the number is growing. It's unclear how many homeschooling families are secular, but the political scientist Rob Reich has written that there is about little doubt that the homeschooling population has diversified in recent years. 
as someone who adheres to the cult of the state as a quasi-divine entity that is the source of all good things, Goldstein is troubled that the individualistic heresy has taken root amongst self-described progressives. Homeschooling is rooted in the distrust of the public sphere, in class privilege, and in the dated presumption that children hail from two-parent families in which one parent can afford and wants to take significant time away from paid work in order to manage a process education that most parents entrust to the community at large, she writes with a palpable sense of disgust. So they want everyone indoctrinated into the same, uh, you know, um, <laughs> like the stories I read at the beginning of, of this broadcast, a little Johnny becomes a little Jenny and things like that, and you're supposed to be all happy with the way that the state schools are running things. And, of course, people are definitely not. There's enough people left with some wisdom not to be not to be at all. Another article, too, is that Summers and Hillary Clinton are set to be leading contenders for the World Bank. Doesn't that make you feel more secure? Eh? And it says, so, it says, U.S. Secretary of Hate, State, <laughs> Secretary of Hate would be better, wouldn't it? Hillary Clinton and former White House economic advisor, Lauren Summers, are two leading candidates to succeed World Bank President Robert Zulick when he leaves in June, said two people familiar with Obama administration discussions. The U.S. promised a candidate in the coming weeks for the post that's always been held by one of its citizens, while officials from Brazil and Mexico vowed to make the selection process open to emerging markets. It's very important that we continue to have strong, effective leadership in this important institution, uh, Mr. Geithner said in an email yesterday, four hours after Zolik 58 announced he will leave at the end of his five-year term. The U.S. choice will have the experience and requisite qualities to take this institution forward. I like this vague reference, forward to where? Over a cliff? But anyway, that's who you can look forward to probably, and I know Hillary's awfully, awfully ambitious. Oh, what an ambitious woman that is, eh? And I think that um, I'd also like to mention, put up some PDFs tonight too. Um, this one here is on remote monitoring and infection solutions. It's actually a cover for spying techniques for internet by FinSpy. This is from the year 2000 to let you know what they were doing back then. FinSpy is a field-proven remote uh, monitoring solution that enables governments to face the current challenges of monitoring mobile and security-aware targets that regularly change location using encrypted and anonymous communication channels and reside in foreign countries. Traditional lawful interception solutions faces new challenges. can only be solved by using systems like FinSpy and data not transmitted over a network, encrypted communications, targets in foreign countries. FinSpy has uh, been proven successful in operations around the world for many years, and viable intelligence has been gathered about target individuals and organizations. When FinSpy is installed in a computer systems, it can be remotely controlled and accessed as soon as it is connected to an internet network, no matter where in the world the target system is based. And it's really interesting to go through this, so to see what they could do. Uh, and go into everything that you're doing on computer in real time. It was installed in several computer systems inside internet cafes in critical areas early on, this year 2000, in order to monitor them for suspicious activity, special Skype communication to foreign individuals. Using the webcam, pictures of the targets were taken while they were using the system. Uh, example two, it was covertly deployed on the target systems of several members of organized crime group using the country's tracing and remote microphone access. 
essential information could be gathered from every meeting that was held by this group. And it goes on to all the other wonderful things that it can do. It bypasses over 40 regularly tested antivirus systems, uh, covert communication with headquarters, full Skype monitoring. It, co- it monitors your chats, calls, file transfers, does file transfers, video, and contact list. Recording of common communication like emails, chats, and voice over IP. Uh, live surveillance through webcam and microphone. They switch them on in your computer uh, remotely. Uh, a country tracing of target. Silent extracting of files from your hard disk. Uh, process-based keylogger for faster analysis. Live remote forensics on target systems. Advanced filters to record only important information. Supports most common operating systems, Windows, Mac, OS X, and Linux. And it's, it goes on and on. There's an awful lot of stuff on this, actually. And this is what they've been doing uh, to you, as I say, since at least 2000 with this particular setup and probably a lot more beforehand too. And it's used for strategic operations and tactical operations. And um, uh, as I say, it can basically download everything from your computer very quietly. You won't notice a darn thing as you copy everything. And uh, this is what you're living in, folks, a completely spied-upon society. Completely spied-upon society. And I'll put that up tonight, too. Also, there's one to do with um, United Nations on transnational management. Uh, it's quite a hefty thing to read through for those who have the patience to do it. But uh, it tells you how they're, they're really tightening up. They're tying up the whole planet with all their different groups and NGOs, etc., under the, the World Bank. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks. I'm back, and we've got Grace from Montana on the line. Hey there, Grace. Hi, Hello? Alan. Yes. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, yep. I just have a quick personal story I wanted to share with my fellow listeners tonight. Um, I agree with you 100% when you say that there are even listeners in this listening audience that don't quite uh, grasp the concept of what austerity is going to mean for them and their families. Um, so I just wanted to share this real quick. Maybe mm-hmm. it'll help drive that home point for someone, uh, drive that point home for someone. Um, I recently came across my grandmother's World War II ration books, and it was just a really tangible reminder to me of where the elite have taken us before and where they're taking us again. Um, so I hope folks keep that in mind because it's going to be much, much worse this much time worse. around. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I just wanted to show that, and hopefully that helps bring someone out of their stupor. Um, mm-hmm. Well, they haven't experienced it before this generation, you see, so they, uh, they don't even think about that. But that's exactly where they want to take us all with rationing books and under sustainability. And even the right to come into your home and check to see how much food you have stored away. Uh, that's part of it too. 
And so um, they've even passed a law, one of the big laws that they passed, which covered every every food-making facility. People thought it was all to do with businesses, but it's also to do with your kitchen. They can come in and inspect that and then go through your fridge and your and your cupboards and see how many how much food you have. And down the road, when it's all monitored on the one card, which it will be uh, under rationing, uh, if you put extra couple of cans of beans there, they'll want to know where you got it. And I'm not kidding about this. I really am not kidding about this. I know you're not. <laughs> yeah. Frightening, but true. Yes. And I know in Britain, uh, the children born up till 1951 uh, or 52 were all given ration cards. Uh, so, the, so, uh, and so they had years of being on rations there. And it literally had something like half an ounce of butter per week and things like that uh, per person. Uh, and you wouldn't believe how, how they bring the diet right down. Uh, and uh, until people literally were, were malnourished, uh, they didn't get meat, much meat at all. Um, they tried to get bones and make soup for the marrow. Um, and, and they were told at the same time by the government that this was a healthier diet for them. Mind you, the government had no problems getting uh, roast, roast beef and um, steaks and so on. But the people themselves were told to sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice. Whenever you hear that term sacrifice for the greater good, then it's time to kick them all out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. I just, and there's not going to be the family farms no. this time around to no. support a starving nation, let alone non-GMO crops. Yes. Uh, what got people through the last Great Depression right, right up until the war, in fact, was so many small uh, farms all around different towns and cities and we, you could go and barter something to get you through. But they've all gone. They're pretty well all gone now. And you've just got these big chains, you know, agri-food businesses, and you're going to get nothing from those guys. It'll be like, it'll be like Russia. They, they always do this in the Soviet-type system. The first thing they go for is the farmers, and then they get the peasants off the land, and they took over the farms. The state takes over the running of the farms. And they were shooting people in Russia who would try to come in and get some ears of corn because they had to send the children out at night to try to steal some corn to eat, to live. And they were shooting them. And believe you me... Coming to a neighborhood near you. Yes, that's coming to a neighborhood near Definitely, absolutely. But uh, they know what they're doing. I know what they're doing. And they're using so many fronts and covers to do it. It confuses the public. But we must keep our eyes on who it is, what they want, and so on. Thanks for calling. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, this good night to me, your God or your gods go with you.